Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Winding down the week. Uh, let's take a little bit of a break. Do a little self-check-in right now um, before we get into the show, which, by the way, we got a great show planned for you. We talk about a bunch of stuff, but I uh, mean, a lot of the show, second hour is going to be talking about the difference between love, love versus abuse, because they cannot coexist, but yet we've normalized a lot of, um, I don't know, visions and, and um, ideas about relationships having to allow certain things, but they don't and they shouldn't. And so we're going to really be breaking it on down, talk about some specifics and then just generally theorizing about that. And as always, slide into the DM. So if you got a DM for us, drop it on our Loveland IG page right in the... In the um, Right in the DMs, as they say. Um, okay, so uh, we're checking in for a quick second. How's your week been, right? Every day when we wake up, we have a certain amount of energy units, right, that we have available to us. And we have to just kind of plan that out. If we've got a big work day, well, you got to build in a lot of extra self-care if you know you have to come home and have some responsibilities later that night, right? We don't want to just burn ourselves out all morning or afternoon and then wonder why we don't have the ability to emotionally regulate later that night or show up fully to our family or our friends. So when we talk about true work-life balance, it's really about energy balance, right? Are we unloading and burning out at our job or whatever we're doing in the morning and afternoon. Maybe if you're a stay-at-home parent, you're spending your time with all the caregiving, um, whatever it might be. We have to remember, we have maybe a second part of our day, right? That we have to come home to and participate in our social life, our self-care, joy and pleasure, hobbies, whatever it is. We want to reserve time and energy. For, I'm sorry, not time. We want to reserve energy for that. That's mental health, that balance. We are not just here to burn ourselves out on being available to others in whatever way that means. We get to say, Whew, I need to cut back on that, say no, set some boundaries, whatever it is, because I have a second half of my day that I want to participate in and show up fully to, right? So we're just really kind of tracking where we're putting our energy and our focus because we want to be available to all the elements in our lives. Talking more and more about that. Also, something I wanted to bring up with... Um, a lot of these court cases, I was I was watching uh, briefly in between clients the, gosh, the trial, the Derek Chauvin trial, um, around the joy, uh, George Floyd murder, and you know clients are talking about the emotional impact watching some of these things on television or having them. Even when I was meeting with clients the day of the Capitol getting stormed and even days after, same thing during the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, Obviously, that's an ongoing thing, but when it really, really, really hit with the with the news covering it consistently, right? 
and people taking to the streets and gathering, we weren't necessarily considering the emotional impact that that was having on us, that we can't just kind of dip into something like that and then dip back out and not think that we're carrying with it some kind of you know, remnants of it or an emotional or mood shift. And it was really interesting watching the trial because jurors and the judge himself had to keep asking for a break or pausing because of their own stress response to that. So what's my point? My point is we have to really pay attention to what we call vicarious trauma, which is, and this is something therapists and public healthcare workers are more aware of or need to be, which is we are impacted by the conversations, scenarios, and the kind of elements of our job, right? That impacts us. It's not just, well, that's not your life. Set that boundary. It doesn't really work like that. Mirror neurons, empathy, um, neuro, interpersonal neurobiological wirings, all these things mean that we do get impacted by others. It's not true that someone can't make you feel a certain way. Yes, they can. They do. It's called empathy. It's called mirror neurons. We literally know the psychological and neurobiological underpinnings of that. That, that does happen, actually. And so it's about recognizing the capacity for that and checking in ourselves. Check, take your own temperature and saying, do I need to push, put this on pause? Do I need to turn this off? Uh, walking away and checking in ourselves, saying, is that still in my body, right? Your body holds trauma, 100%. People can make you feel a certain way just by you being present to their experiencing their experience and internalizing their trauma, right? So we have to check in on ourselves and say, do I need to decompress? Do I need to just go for a walk, get some fresh air? Do I need to play some music? Do I need to have a positive, uplifting conversation? Do I need to cancel the rest of my day? I, as a therapist, have things happen in my life where I'm like, listen, I, I need to cancel my day. I cannot take this trauma into my sessions or what I just witnessed or was a part of is still in my body and I need to take care of myself, right? Self-care workers and public self-care workers, public healthcare workers are hopefully getting a little bit better about that. And, and again, I'm not saying self-care because that implies that we can do certain activities that will immediately remove the, re the remnants of whatever happened. That's not always true. It's really just about checking in and being honest with where you're at, right? So my point being our mental health is impacted by all the different things around us. Just carry an awareness of that and ask yourself when you're in these situations, am I vicariously getting traumatized? Meaning via being a part of someone else's experience, am I living some of that and being impacted by some of that, right? Parents need to think about that in their interactions with their children. What am I not only transmitting, but am I maybe picking up on, right? We'll keep talking about it. Um, and that's why also when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about, we've talked in the past about how to help someone else get into therapy, how to know if someone else needs therapy, but we're now going to talk about ourselves. What do we need to consider? Because a lot of people are kind of bringing that up. Is it time for me to get into therapy? So we'll talk about what that would mean. And then, like I said, we'll be finishing off by talking about what is not love because we've woven in culturally some elements that are actually abusive that are not love. And then of course, as always, closing out with those DMs, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. And uh, we've talked in the past on two different episodes about <clears throat> ways to get loved ones and friends and family members into therapy and to help them know that they need therapy. But what about us? And this is a topic I wanted to talk about because I had two friends ask me in the past week, do you think I need to get into therapy? And I thought, oh my God, <laughs> I, you know, I forget that this isn't something that's really readily accessible in people's minds as to what therapy might offer, why we might need to go. So I want to kind of talk about why therapy. <clears throat> so let's start really broad because therapy is a lot of different things and there's a lot of different reasons why people go to therapy. But the more important point I want to start by making is that there's no right way or wrong way. There's no right reason or wrong reason right? Therapy can provide a lot of different things. Uh, therapy provides everything from people having dire and 
really ongoing uh, mental health struggles or issues. People enter therapy because they are victims of trauma. People also enter therapy sometimes because they just need a safe space to process. They literally just need a safe space to work through what they're going through. They don't even necessarily want a lot of engagement from the therapist. They just need a space, a ritualized, symbolic, sacred space once a week where in the context of their busy lives, they sit down and they focus on themselves. It's the same reason why people meditate, why some people journal. It's also the same reason why people go to church weekly or whatever it is for them. They want to symbolically build in a day of the week where they're forced or reminded to really look at and address certain things, right? And others enter because they want to just do a little self-exploration, learn more about themselves and, and work around in their history and in their unconscious and their psyche. There's, there's no wrong reason. Uh, some people just want someone to bounce something off of. And for other people, it's because they don't have deep, personal, intimate relationships and they really want to have that kind of connection with someone. And therapy is a place where they can really find some of that relationality. Um, and others, again, they just want to check in on the health of some of the processes in their life or they just want to be a better partner or a better loved one, right? So it can offer all those different things. And we're, in, we're still in the pandemic and there's a lot of people that are dealing with uncertainty around finances, career. Maybe they've become furloughed or unemployed and they maybe want to step into something else. And they want to explore who am I? What do I want to do in this world? Other people hit midlife breakthroughs where they're saying, I'm struggling with what's going on in my life and I really want to make sense of who I want to be and is the life I'm living, the life I want to continue to live, the relationship I'm in, my relationship to those around me, my career, my relationship to my body. Um, that's a big one. People entering to talk about their relationship to their body or they want to work on being more sexually free, sexually fluid, more sex positive, any element. Right, and COVID's brought up a lot, a lot of loss, uh, grief, um, transitions. I honestly can't think, having done this work for almost two decades, I can't think of anyone where whatever their stated issue was, which also, remember, whatever people see as the identified reason for entering therapy sometimes isn't the true issue. Sometimes what they enter thinking the issue is is actually a symptom of something bigger, deeper. Others, the work gets derailed and goes in other really you know, beautiful, powerful directions, but I can't think of a time where someone entered with a stated goal and I thought, well, it's not really therapy appropriate. It's, I can't think of a time, you know, therapy can be deep, deep depth work. It can be very coaching based and skill based communication skills and whatnot. Um, how to reenter the dating world, how to build more confidence. It's so vast, better parenting, pre-relational, premarital therapy, all that stuff. Um, so if none of that really rings a bell, what are some other things? Well, let's talk about it. Um, if people are constantly bringing up in a very loving way that they think maybe you could benefit from therapy, maybe there's something to that. We talk about that also in terms of someone's relationship to drugs or alcohol. People aren't always correct. And unfortunately, and I want people to stop doing this, sometimes they weaponize it. You need help. You need therapy. Well, that tone and that aggressiveness never makes someone feel like you're being honest or caring. And they'll weaponize it in that way. You know, say you're too much. It's like, well, that's not what it's about. But if someone's lovingly or multiple people lovingly over the course of the year or years have said, you know, maybe that's something you could talk to a therapist about. Sit with that. You know, having being aware of what people see in us is one of the gifts of being in relationships, right? We don't always see ourselves. We're not always aware of ourselves or how we're impacting people. So let that have some meaning. Um, also, if you feel as though uh, certain important domains of your life, relationships are in, family, career, home, if you feel like those things are not functioning optimally 
or you don't feel as invested or present or the joy is not there anymore, or you just feel like some of your thought patterns or your behaviors are kind of getting in the way of you building the relationships you want or staying in them or the career you want, that could be a signal that there's some work to do, right? What is it, what's going on for me or what am I doing or what am I creating or what am I co-creating and sustaining that's not allowing me to stay in the relationships or maintain the relationships or the career that I want? Right. And that's where therapy can kind of step in and really be self-reflective and help create a vision of how you want it to be and how can we get there. Right. And also, like I said, with our relationship to food or drugs and alcohol or our body, really starting to figure out what the plan is. And therapy is a safe space, but also a level of accountability where someone else is in it with you and tracking it with you and really hoping to helping to motivate you, kind of holding your hand through it. So again, if your mental health or any of your struggles are impacting your ability or your presence to really fully show up or be functional in all those different domains, that's something to really, 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 really look at. And then of course, um, we look at things like, you know, depression, anxiety, and other forms of coping. And that's the pandemic has amplified some people's coping mechanisms, right? Amplified their use. They're using it more or deeper, more consistently. Um, it's also, uh, created the, um, emergence of forms that we never had maybe relied on in the past. And we're like, oh, it's so interesting that food is my go-to it hadn't been before, or I'm drinking more now or drinking earlier. Right. And that wasn't something historically. What, what is that about? Is that healthy for me? Is that something I'm going to want to leave behind when COVID, <clears throat> you know, as hard as it is to say is over. I don't even know what that means, especially as I'm looking at studies saying that some of the vaccines are good for six months and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> Six months, that's all we get out of all that. Then we got to, what, do this again? Um, that's another conversation for another show, but that's in there. Um, but coping mechanisms is big, right? Because self-care is always positive, or else it's not self-care. And coping mechanisms are really anything we use to cope. And they can be positive uh, in terms of their impact on us. Other times, they can be negative. Take a little break. When we come back, we'll keep talking about this. Uh, you're listening to Loveline. Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about how you know that it's time for maybe you to see a therapist, not other people. It's about you. We've talked about others. And we're talking about how if, you know, the important domains of your life, whatever they are, relationships, career, uh, if you feel as though certain things are getting in the way of you being fully present or even having sustainable long-term jobs, relationships, therapy can help with that. What am I doing? What am I creating? What am I bringing in that's making people not want to keep me in their life or that's not making me able to thrive in all these different domains, right? That's a big deal. Therapy can help with that. <clears throat> also, as I said, lovingly, if people you care about and you trust have said, hey, check out therapy. Like that's that's maybe important to do then, right? Like those around us can be a really good mirror and holding up and letting us know what's going on that we can't see. It's really hard for us to see ourselves, even as a therapist. We might be better along, but like it's not, I'm, I'm thankful for having good friends around me that call things out and let me know what it's like to be in a relationship with me and um, really hold me accountable to who I am and how I'm impacting everyone. But there is also great for those that <clears throat> really want to work on looking at the relationship and health of their coping mechanisms. Coping mechanism can be literally anything. Self-care always has a positive impact on us. It, if it has a negative impact in some way, it's not self-care. It's then just maybe a coping mechanism and we have all different forms of coping and sometimes they are in our best interest. Other times they maybe make us worse off. And so it's really good to explore the relationship you have to your coping mechanisms and also learn new ones, right? Like what are ways that I can deal with what's going on in my life? Because remember, not everything's resolvable. Not everything can be eliminated. 
um, things that are psychological in nature, we can't just pinpoint and remove. It doesn't work like that. It's not surgery. We have to learn how to work with. And a lot of things we struggle with psychologically are things we have to learn how to just allow to be a companion in our life and on our journey. Most marital issues aren't resolvable. We learn how to better manage them, how to be beyond them, above them, how to let them go, how to accept them. Not everything's resolvable. I have to tell it to a lot of clients. We're going to learn how to manage this. That's not going away. Or we don't even know if it will, right? It's a journey. And so coping mechanisms are whatever we do to get through the day, to get through the week, to get through the experience, but they don't always have a beneficial impact on us. So we sometimes want to examine that, change it, work it, improve it. Um, and then again, if you've got general anxiety or depression, you don't need to battle that on your own. You don't need to feel bad or bad or broken. You go go get into therapy and someone can really help you make more sense of that. Um and as I said earlier, some people just don't have access to community or they don't have, you know, really healthy support systems or a support network because of whatever reason they're now newly out as trans or they've moved to a new location or, or whatever it might be. Um, and therapy is a great place to figure out how to build wider social networks and to connect a community. But therapy itself is a true interpersonal relationship. And for some people, it's really meaningful to have that in their life, that one anchor, that person that they know is always there and that's there for them. And I think that that's beautiful. I love being a part of people's journeys. That's one of the most glowing parts about being a therapist is not that I want to help or fix people. I want to be a passenger on their journey. I want to be a part of transformation, right? Um, in doing so, it also transforms me and I learn more about the world and myself and my own relationships. But yeah, so for some people, therapy is about just building a social support network. Yeah, endlessly. It's beautiful. Because um, sometimes the community we have access to or the friends we have aren't able to help us or they've been burnt out, right? We've constantly for a long time taken stuff to them and they're just kind of like, listen, I'm going through my own stuff. I'm not really sure if I know how to help you. That is a good sign, but go to therapy. That person is better able to hold that to create a really strong container to help you work through your stuff. Friends aren't trained or always resilient enough to do that. They're just people like you are. And they're not, just because they're older or a parent doesn't mean that they have the emotional intelligence or abilities to hold and, and to tolerate that, right? And so we wanna be very thoughtful about not burning people out. So if you feel like you're really, really struggling a lot, go to therapy, just knowing that, look, this has been a tough time. My friends might not have said this, but I imagine I might be burning them out because I'm burning myself out, you might say. Like you're overwhelming yourself. So of course your friends might feel that way. That's a good reason and time to get into therapy. Right, to just have someone in it with you and to take the pressure off loved ones, family members, friends. Because again, we don't want to burn them out. And also because some people just don't have access to safe, healthy people that they trust. You know, the beautiful part about therapy is that everything's completely confidential. This is a space where you're not going to be judged. It does often mean you have to find a very body positive, sex positive therapist that isn't going to imply judgment. I'm always, I always add that caveat. Not every therapist is sex positive or trained in any kind of element of sexuality. Not every therapist is safe for you to take some of your kinks or your sexual orientation or gender struggles. Sally, some therapists believe that trans isn't healthy or that gay isn't healthy or that porn viewing is bad. So you do have to be a smart consumer. The back of my book, um, Rebel Love, my book, in the back, the last chapter is, I think it's 10 things you want to ask to make sure that your therapist is sex positive, right? So that is something you need to look into, right? To make sure that they can actually help you work on what you want to work on, right? Because like all relationships, uh, trust and safety are primary or we don't have one. 
And a therapist in, on paper is someone where you can bring in whatever you need to bring in and it won't be judged and it will be dealt with. Um, and I guess the caveat to that is then if you are with a therapist who you feel does judge you or they're not able to work with you on your material and you don't feel safe, get out and find someone new because there are people that can do that. So, all right, y'all, coming up next, it's going to be sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my brother is going through a really rough time. He just broke up with his girlfriend of five years and is very depressed. I've never seen him like this before. I know that breakups are usually something that we have to heal from on our own. But do you have any ideas on how to maybe cheer him up? Um, no, don't cheer him up. We don't need to cheer him up. He needs someone to just be with him on his journey. Although what I do like in your question, and it sounds like I'm, you know, playing with semantics, but it's okay to help him find some joy and pleasure. It's okay to remind him that there's other things going on in the world. It's okay to get him out of whatever space might be depressing him. But even in that, we're not trying to cheer him up as much as we're trying to just help him have a little more flexibility and fluidity. And I know that sounds very similar, but trying to cheer someone up often sounds like we're trying to tell them, it's fine, you'll be okay, feel better. It's like, no, you can be sad, but let's be sad and also go to the movies. You can be sad and we can go to the movies and still laugh for a while while we're watching something funny. And then at times we can go back to sadness and kind of have that fluidity. So don't force anything, just be, just be present, be available. But I don't know... I don't know what the breakup means for him. I don't know how desirable or dateable he feels. I don't know what part of his identity he has to let go of. I don't know how he has to be different in the world. Like breakups are so vast because it's so much is tied to what this person represented while with us and their loss represents, right? And so it's bigger than just, he needs to cheer up. How do I cheer him up? I have no idea. I don't work in the, you know, my job is not about cheering people up. My job is about people helping people go deeper and explore you know, and being a companion on their journey and getting some insight, learning some tips and tools. Um, but I also let people be where they are and I don't, and let them be on his journey. So don't try to cheer him up as much as try to keep him functioning in the world. Try to still ask him to go do things with you, still share with him what's going on in your life and give him the, the ability to maybe see that there's a little more flexibility. Um, okay, we got another one. This one says, Dear Dr. Chris, I'm losing weight during quarantine and my friends are actually making fun of me for it. I know they're. I know that. I know they care about me. I know they're kidding, but it's feeling really hard. Um, yeah, let's stop talking about people's bodies. Let's not compliment people for gaining weight, losing weight, for looking good, for looking bad. No one needs to be forced to keep thinking in those terms. I don't want people's self-esteem to be tied to whether they've gained weight or lost weight. Who cares? Who cares? Move away from talking about people's bodies. Tell people, hey, I'm going to stop you. You've been talking a lot about my body. I don't want to hear about it. You set that boundary. And if they don't respect that, you, you, you're you out. That is part of mental health. I can't say that enough. Don't comment on people's bodies. You don't know if the weight loss is due to sickness and illness. You don't know if what the weight gain is about. You don't know if they're trying to lose weight, but you're saying they look great gaining weight. Stop talking about weight loss. Stop posting weight loss pictures. Stop talking about quarantine weight loss or weight gain. Stop talking about your meal plan. Stop showing before and after pictures. It keeps all of us trapped in this constant assessment and constant attachment to our worth and our confidence being tied to the current shape and size of our body. Let's be better than that. There's no mental health in that. If you want to talk about health, cool, about your own, how you feel, but we're not assessing other people's health. We're not assessing how they look and we're not talking about their bodies. Some people have other priorities and that's not relevant to them. And health exists at every size and in every body. 
We're not doing that. We're moving beyond that. So set the boundary. Hey guys, stop talking about my body and my weight gain or weight loss. And if you don't stop, I'm not going to spend time around you anymore because then you become toxic friends or toxic family members. And my mental health means more than being in this relationship with you. People that care about you and are healthy, decent people will listen to your boundaries. When we set a boundary, people's responses to it tell us whether or not they are safe to be kept in our lives, period. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. There are many topics I've said to people in my life, we are not talking about this. <laughs> and, and, and when you set a boundary, you often have to hold it. So you give people maybe another shot or two, depending, depending on what the boundaries are, who they are, right? Depends. But certain things like that, maybe if they're a little too familiar, you'll say, oh, sounds like you're about to talk about my body and we're not doing that. I don't need to be thinking about that or assessing that, you know? Set that boundary. Let's stop talking about that stuff. It's exhausting for all of us. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're gonna be talking about love, but how love does not include abuse, and it's been normalized a little bit. There's some cultural norms of things people will accept and allow in relationships that actually fall under abuse, and abuse and love cannot coexist. So we're gonna talk about that, and then we'll be closing out with some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. All right, y'all, we'll be back, so stick around. Talking about love. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. Talking about a uh, confluence of a few things um, that I all think uh, kind of circle together and create a lot of ro uh, romantic relational problems. Talking about love, talking about the difference between love and abuse. Uh, made a couple social media posts about this uh, a couple months ago, I think, right? A couple weeks, a couple months ago. And then I put out an article on the difference between love and abuse and really unpacking what is uh, toxic forms of relational norms, right? Because there's so many things that we normalize that I just think are terribly unhealthy and more importantly, sometimes fall under just what's abusive, right? And we really wanna be able to understand that distinction, right? We wanna make sure that, uh, as I say over and over all the time, Anytime we're in a relationship of any kind with someone, we want to make sure we're having a positive, beneficial impact on them, right? Because that's what love's about. Love and abuse cannot coexist. They can't. They cannot exist at the same time. So someone that's abusive, you need to know you're not in a loving relationship if you're bringing physical or emotional abuse in. Um, so let's talk about a little bit. So romantic relationships, they are how we grow up. I love that. Parenting's another version of that, but romantic relationships are really powerful. Singledom might be hard for a lot of reasons, but it's easier psychologically than being in a relationship. Relationship will bring more up for you, right? It triggers us. It's our stuff, our trauma, our issues are often born out of relationship and thereby triggered and the work is done in future relationship, right? We drag it forward and that's where it gets brought up. So it's a really powerful place, time, phase, however you wanna look at it, for us to really learn what our work is and to grow up, right? Heal those triggers. Triggers are a sign of where our work is, where our wounding is, where we have to heal and grow, right? So romantic relationships, transformative experiences, right? Um, it's how we enter them, how we act while in them. Also really importantly, how we exit them right? Those are all indicators and signs of our mental health. But we step outside of them, we get anxious or insecure. And what we do when we're feeling too vulnerable, or we're made to feel a little anxious or uncertain in these romantic relationships, what we do is we grab it tighter, we try to control. But that doesn't heal us, right? Because what we most need is to feel safe and to trust, and that's only shown when we actually let go, which is counterintuitive, and just 
watch and see what our partner does, right? So it doesn't heal us, it doesn't transform us, it doesn't make anything better when we try to grasp and hold on tighter when feeling anxious or insecure. But that's what we feel like we need to do, right? Because trust is a practice and it's shown in experience. And a lot of people will try to move around the labels, the rules, the construct, the structure as a way to feel safer or to trust, but that doesn't do anything, right? That often just keeps us anxious, but it doesn't really get us back to the root of the issue, which is we don't feel safe or trust this person that we're with, or we haven't learned how to, to do that ourselves, right? So we have to learn how to trust and practice that and healthy aspects of the merging that happens in a healthy relationship, right? We go from an I or um, it go, you go from an I or, or a me to a we and an us, and um, that is healthy. And, but that should have an improvement on us, right? All partners though have to decide on the boundaries in the relationship. And that's like the first entry point where we're trying to build a healthy relationship is, does everyone feel like they have an equal amount of power? Does everyone get to decide the boundaries? Because healthy relationships aren't about rules, they're about boundaries. And there's a huge distinction. Boundaries are about taking care of ourselves. And they're, they're a discussion about what we will or will not do ourselves. Rules are about trying to control the other person. So we're trying to move away from rules in a romantic relationships between adults and focus more on boundaries. You know, this is what I'll allow. This is what I'll be a part of. This is what I won't allow, what I won't be a part of for myself. And you get to do what you do. And I'll decide based on what I say you do around the boundaries I've set as to whether or not I'll stay in this or whether or not it's healthy for me, right? And when we have to bring monogamy into that, right? Monogamy is not a one size fits all. It's gotta be custom made based on what the people in the relationship need or want, right? Because it has to be about the people. It's gotta be about the mental health. And every every relationship, and depending on the phase of the relationship, might have different shifting, changing needs around the boundaries, the expectations, whatever the monogamy is. And so every couple has to sit down and really talk that out. Um, but a lot of the ways that we run it, we've talked about this before and we'll continue to talk about this, really fall under what's actually abuse, right? But it's been so normalized, these attempts at control, and rules that it kind of gets to perpetuate itself because it's not acknowledged or seen as such. So it's not challenged, right? And most of the relationships people are in have sprinklings, if not a lot of threads of some of these toxic elements, right? But these things that we're talking about, they're not love. Because remember, abuse, control, uh, none of that can exist in love, right? And so these abusive toxic forms that we're talking about that are socially sanctioned, that are very familiar to us. We see them in our friends and the advice they give and the way they live their lives. We also see it in television. It's become so acceptable that it's been seen as being a part of what love is. And, and all the writers that really focus on writing about love, healthy uh, adult and child relationships, right? As children with our parents and how we grow up, they call that out. They'll say, you know, a lot of things that have been normalized within us and even culturally as children, um, things that we have received from our parents, we've been trained and lied to believe that that's a sign of love or that these forms of abuse can coexist with love. And that's part of why I think as adults, we don't always see it. And we're not always able to call it out. We're gonna take a little break. When we come back though, we're gonna keep talking about love, love versus abuse, and uh, just moving to higher levels of mental health. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, so we're back talking about the difference between love and abuse and just about how our early environment were often raised, trained to believe that um, some of these forms of abuse that are normalized are part of love. And so we allow it, we accept it, and it's not called out. And then we move into adulthood and a lot of these things have been consistently normalized, right? So we're not realizing that these are toxic for us or for our partner. And 
we really do believe that if we're feeling anxious or insecure, that the work is about more rules and holding tighter versus letting go and really looking at who we are, who they are, what's happening in our relationship and making a determination based on that. If it's unhealthy, we need to go. But again, people often stay and they're like, I'll just, I'll just apply more rules. I'll police them more. I'll get their passwords, whatever it is. And it's like, that's, that's not what this is even about. Right. And we're normalizing it by saying that a lot of the things that are toxic monogamy, right? Toxic forms of monogamy, that most relationships have sprinkles of this. Some they're completely run in a very in a very abusive way, uh, emotionally, but other ones, um, it's just little sprinkles. And so you just have to make a little some changes, some tweaks. You have to call it out in yourself, in your partner. And again, as always, if if you're in a uh, physically abusive relationship, get out. You need to go, you need to leave, right? The relationship has ended the minute physical abuse has been brought in. You have permission to just say, I'm out. I need time out, time away. And emotional abuse really depends on the scale. Unfortunately, I think some of it's so normalized that we have to learn how to stay called out and expect improvement. If that doesn't happen, then we go, always. Because no no romantic relationships should ever include abuse, physical or emotional. But the emotional, we give a little more leeway to because it's been very normalized. It's very common, lighter forms of it. But the minute you're in a place where you or your partner are name calling or doing what we call implied violence where you're slamming and throwing things around them, it's time to take a break for sure, if not leave. Because we, we've the wheels have fallen off the train and we're just heading towards something bad. It's probably going to escalate. But you need to unnormalize that. That shouldn't be something that you're familiar with or that you've allowed to be, you know, to be brought in. Um, but again, a lot of the things that are actually abuse have been, you know, disguised or, you know, seen as love. Um, but you can't have both. And that's a cultural lie that sometimes, you know, things and people that we love are going to hurt us. No, <laughs> nope. Just like the cultural lie that relationships take a lot of work. No, they don't actually. They shouldn't. They take work, but not a lot of work. If it's a lot of work, you're just not compatible. Or one of you or both of you are just unwilling to really mature and grow up. And it's time to break. It's time to take a break then. hundred percent. Um, but again, um, rules and limits aren't about love and that's not what we're trying to do. That's about anxiety because love is about freedom, right? Love is about the expansion. Our lives are made bigger. Our lives are made better, right? Uh, but emotionally abusive behaviors, we're talking about, uh, telling someone, you know, your adult partner who their friends can be or can't be checking their cell phone, going through their stuff, uh, flooding them with texts all the time when they're, you know, out with their friends. Who are you with? Where are you? That's about them or that's about you. And you need to figure that out. Because again, if they're not worthy of trust, you need to leave. And if it's that you need to practice trusting, it's time to do that before you become unhealthy and toxic for them if you're not already, thereby making it them that needs to leave you, right? Because if we trust each other, we can go anywhere, do anything, be friends with whoever because we know that those boundaries will be held, right? But I don't want people to be in relationships anymore with people that they don't or can't trust, right? Because we're trying to be better. It's 2021. <laughs> we're working on improving these things. Um, but again, uh, we got to stop normalizing emotional abuse, right? Because I feel myself asking this, and I mean it in a literal way. It's not necessarily just rhetoric. Is what? What do you think? What do you think a relationship supposed to be about? You know, I'll say like, why do you? Why do you think people get into them, or why do you think people should? Right? For romance, yes. Fun, sure. Companionship, cool. Support, absolutely. Transformation, yes. Comfort. But we don't enter them because we think our lives need to get harder, right? Or more complex or geez, I, I need more drama in my life or more conflict. That's not, that's not the point or the purpose, but somehow again, that's been normalized. That's, that's, that's allowed, right? And that's not the case. That again is a sign of we're not compatible or we're not doing the work because we don't have to be in romantic relationships. We choose them. And so we should choose well, right? 
Because relationships are about loving someone, transforming someone, being transformed, but not about controlling. They shouldn't be about loss, right? They're verbs. I love that idea that we relationship, but also love is a verb. We are we love someone. It's not just an inherent thing that's there. It's something we demonstrate, something we do. It's not something we just have, right? And I was I was talking about this next point on a um, IG post about a month ago or so. I was talking about how there's these uh, there's these other forms of care, maybe right, that aren't quite love because love in the in the definition that I use is again not about limits. But I, I use the example of our pet, or you know whatever pet you might have. That um, you definitely care about your pet, right? Well, for those that do care about their pet, let's talk about that. Those that do care about their pet, you might use the word love, right? But love is about expansion. Love is about wanting what's best for someone else, and we don't actually apply that to our relationship with our pet. We support them as long as their needs don't make us uncomfortable, right? We set limits around our comfort, right? We care for them, but we demand that they live in our comfort. We don't. We don't support our. We don't support our pets' full actualization right? Because we, we limit their freedom. We limit their authenticity. We limit their expressions, right? We quiet them down. Uh, we don't necessarily let them go where they want within our home or do what they want, right? We're constantly limiting, limiting within our comfort. And sometimes we apply that to relationships with humans, right? Where we're forgetting that, again, we shouldn't be making their life harder, more difficult, and putting boundaries as much as we should be expanding. And that's part of our own, our own unhealed work. And it's almost like a... Um, a journal prompt. And I think it can be a really scary thing to ask yourself. And I want everyone to do that. Sit for a second and think of, you know, your primary partner, husband, wife, if not, think of um, maybe just a good friend, or even think back to a primary partner that you have had and ask yourself, how, how do I impact their life? Do I make their life better? Or do I make their life harder and more difficult? And if your answer is I make their life harder or more difficult, do better absolutely go and do better or take time away or take time apart because again, you're harming, right? We don't want to do that. We don't want to sign off on that. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to rattle off a few specific, very hard to hear at times, examples of some of the things we do that we've allowed or normalized that actually fall under abuse. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about a very important topic. We're talking about a true, a truly powerful self-assessment, always trying to assess ourselves first before we look at our partner. It's a feedback loop. It doesn't matter who started whatever might be going on. We are somehow maybe sustaining, perpetuating, or allowing whatever kind of a relational norm has been set. And some couples, my God, they've started to allow things that are truly abusive come in and... Uh, doesn't matter who started or brought it in as much as step up and stop it. So I'm going to talk about some of the things that, you know, again, some of these are really punchy and hard to hear, but these are examples, really specific behavioral examples of some of the things that we allow. And these are real things that have come into my office that fall under abuse or toxic monogamy, which is abuse and just can't coexist with love. Uh, so first one we talked about is just running your relationship for fear or anxiety, not trying to uh, run it from a place of trust and growth, right? Um, and just always feeling anxious or being with someone who's always anxious and always afraid of what you're doing and the status of the relationship, um, it's exhausting, right? Also, excuse me, my eye. 
Uh, also expecting immediate commitment. Some people don't understand that dating in early relationship is about getting to know and assessing compatibility to see if it's someone you want to be in a relationship with, right? But that's not that's not what you can expect and demand right away. It's the person who throws a tantrum or gets very upset or says someone's not serious about them if after a few dates they find out the person's still seeing or talking to others. Well, yeah, they don't know you. They've only been out with you for a little while. It takes weeks at least to really assess compatibility for someone to be able to decide if they want to be exclusive, monogamous, or commit to you. But you can't expect that from the door. That's abusive. That is not that's not positively impacting someone's life. Um, the feeling is that we can't disappoint our partner. Some people do believe that whatever triggers or upsets a partner should be something we never do. That's not true. It's okay to disappoint, frustrate, or let your partner down. That's called being a person. And relationships have to be able to tolerate that, right? Um, blaming, no accountability, controlling your partner, trying to decide who their friends can be, um, name calling or talking poorly about your partner. Call that out in yourself or in your, uh, in your partner and, and, and we leave that behind, right? Also, here's one that's pretty common, threatening. Uh, threats of leaving, breaking up, moving out, or divorcing. Very, very unfair, very unkind, very destabilizing. And if you're the person who makes those threats, stop doing that. Just really express what you need to express emotionally and let that be enough, right? Um, I'm sad, I'm scared, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, whatever it is. But to threaten to leave, break up, move out, or divorce, that's abuse. That's absolutely emotionally abusive because it's a very catastrophized, dramatic way to express that you're upset and hurt. Deal with it better. And if you really do feel like it's time to break up, move out, divorce, or leave, well, then just do it. And the person on the receiving end of that, tell your partner, it's not okay to continue to do that. That is emotionally abusive and I won't be in an emotionally abusive relationship. And if you continue to threaten me with that, I will leave. And then you do leave, right? Because we're not staying in abusive relationships, right? We're working on setting those boundaries, asking for what we need and exiting if it doesn't change. Um, also, another abusive form is trying to force someone to give up boundaries or privacy. I don't care who you're with, how long you've been with them. You get to have privacy and boundaries. You get to have parts of your life and your thoughts or conversations that are just for you only, right? Therapy should not be the only safe space to express yourself, right? Uh, we, we've talked about this to nauseam, going through your partner's phones, demanding passwords, access to things. It, again, normalized. People aren't surprised when that happens. I want us to be. I want us to be surprised that that happens. Um, how about also seeing everyone as a threat? Seeing your partner's exes as rivals or, threat or threats or enemies? What is that about? Why? What's the, what's the threat? If you're with someone you trust and someone who's healthy, what's the threat, right? What are you afraid of? Why are they an enemy? What have they done wrong, right? I want us to be in relationships where we can see an ex, discuss an ex, acknowledge an ex, and no one's threatened, no one's mad, no one's angry, right? Still way too normalized. We talked about policing other, you know, our partner's relationships and the friends they're having or friends with exes. None of that is a loving act of trying to be good for someone or helping expand their life. Neither is demanding monogamy or demanding marriage, right? These aren't bargaining tools or things to be weaponized. We're not withholding sex, right? Um, we're not believing that to be in a committed relationship, a long-term committed relationship, has to mean the loss of something, the loss of sex, the loss of freedom. You hear those jokes and those stories and... It, that, Let's, let's make that something that is shocking to us again, right? Not something where we all laugh along. It's, it's so frustrating and disappointing to hear that. Um, I, think the, I think the thing that 
I, I hear normalized as well that's kind of in connection with that last one is this whole idea of not liking your partner or your spouse, like rolling your eyes and shaking your head. And it, it, even if it's as a joke, it's such an odd joke. You know what I mean? Like let's love the people we love. Let's actually feel romantic feelings about the people we're in a romantic relationship with. Let's not get to a place or normalize rolling our eyes, talking poorly about them when they're not around or even to them. Like, what, what is that about, right? This antagonism. I think some of that's in that old school battle of the sexes and you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. It's like none of that's real or true. Uh, all the different genders aren't opposites. They're just different and it's even different within the same genders. Like none of that's real. Jealousy, like let's just move forward getting rid of jealousy. How about that? Just being honest and present to what is. I'm gonna keep challenging y'all. We're doing better. You know what I mean? Like that's what I want this new year to be about. Um, coming up next though, uh, slide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We'll be back. Stick around. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, first off, thank you for your show. I listen every day and I love it. Thank you. Last week, you talked about self-care for healthcare workers. I wanted to ask you if you had any other ways to cope without necessarily taking days off or time off from work. In my clinic, there are no days off. We've been working, what? That's not okay. That's not okay. There are no days off. We've been working overtime for an entire year. We're lucky if we get to keep our scheduled days off, but we're usually called in. That's not okay. Seriously, it's not okay. Shame on your entire supervisory team and your management. I'm not, uh, I'm not complaining. Well, you should. And I love the people I see every day. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but sometimes coming home and decompressing for two to three hours, then sleeping isn't enough. You're right. It's not. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Like, it's not enough especially because some employers are gross enough and boundaryless enough to think they should also be reaching out to you over the weekends. Hey, employers, don't reach out to employees on the weekends. That is their time off. Have boundaries, have some respect, seriously. Any employer that reaches, you, reaches out to you about work on your days off or time off has a boundary issue. That's a mental health issue. Stop, seriously. You, your weekends are yours. And a lot of times people spend the weekends having to do the things they weren't able to do during the week, thereby getting no time for joy, pleasure, or family. And that's why we need to reduce the work week to a four-day work week and from eight hours to six hours. The studies show over and over that that's actually how we're even more productive for those that are obsessed with productivity. But mental health and care matters. Shame on your entire clinic. I'm serious. And I'm sorry that that's been normalized for you because that's not okay for you to be burnt out because you're not helping your clients working those hours. You're not. It's not possible. And you matter as much as they do. Hear me say that. Therapists and healthcare workers, you matter as much as the people you're serving. You don't need to be a superhero. We have to be able to set those boundaries. And I would implore you to take time off. Find a way to take time off. I'd implore you to report them to the Better Business Bureau, whoever else is higher up in the hierarchy. Send an anonymous email. Let them know that it is not healthy working conditions. Seriously. If I was you, I'd report the crap out of that. I'm telling you, employers, I hope you're listening. Have better boundaries, seriously. That, that pisses me off, I can't even tell you. Um, the best thing you can do is, is the best, and here, here the terminology, the best thing you can do, because there's no ideal way to deal with being overworked and burnt out, capitalism at its worst, but the best you can do, the only thing you can do is force time off 
shoot, send me an email. I'll write you a doctor's note to demand that time off. Number two, build in as much joy and pleasure as possible. Tons of rest, but take as much rest as you can during the workday. Take as many walks as you can away from your desk. Take as many walks as you can outside. Go to the bathroom as much as possible. Take tons of coffee breaks. Our brains cannot be focused and working for that length of time. You need micro breaks. Take as many as you can. Steal your time back. You might need to be there physically and clocked in, but they can't track your walks. They can't track your bathroom use. Some of them can, but if they can't, take coffee breaks. Take a few moments to check your Facebook and your Instagram. Leave early if you can. Come late. Take a nap if you can. You have to find a way to survive because that's a toxic system and you're not the problem the system is. It's not your job to find a way to cope with that. We can't. We can't always find a way to cope with the schedules that are forced on us and shame on your company for not letting you take days off. That's disgusting. Seriously, I'm so not okay with that. As a mental health expert, you need to be putting mental health first. So my heart hurts. We're, it's about managing that. But the issue is the people in positions of control. Do better. Seriously, do better. This person should not have to send me a DM asking how to survive a toxic, unhealthy work environment. It's disgusting. Whew, sorry y'all had to sit through that, but that's not okay. And this is my issue with mental health not being considered. People just look at work hours and productivity. and my, it's, it's, it's ill. Seriously. So that's the best you can do, though. Force breaks in your in your busy work day and then on your weekends refuse to answer any any emails work-wise because that's your time and they don't have a right to insert themselves and find tons of joy and pleasure so that you feel like you have some meaning and purpose and fun in your life and i'd maybe even look for a new job one that has better boundaries and on the interviews ask things like that do, do you leave people alone on the weekends and let them have their weekends? How easy is it to take the time off that's built into you know my benefits? I get paid time off. How easy is it to get that time off? What kind of process do I have to go through? Ugh, work, man. It should not. It should not be the center point in our life. But I'm. Uh, we're we're trying to change that. All right, y'all. <laughs> bringing it back. Bringing it back. That is our show. We will be back on Monday. So y'all fill this weekend with nothing but joy and pleasure. Turn your phone off. Do not check your emails. Do no work. Rest, rest, rest. Find some joy and pleasure. Have tons of fun. And uh, as always, thanks for hanging out.